So really knowing specifically what the person would be doing, what skills are really important. And when you do that, when you understand your team and you've given them opportunities internally, and then you kind of thoughtfully go out to make the next hire, you can really hone in and pitch the job correctly and know that there's going to be room to support them, the work and the skills around them. And that makes it different. You can open up talent pools that way by kind of, you know, looking inwards first before going out to market. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. Welcome to Data Futurology. Today, we've got a extra special episode. We're going to be speaking with our friends from Talent Insights, who are Australia's leading data analytics and actuarial recruitment. They do excellent work in this space. From the audience, we've heard that at the moment, acquiring talent, managing talent, minimizing attrition are key issues that all leaders are facing. So we're keen to pick the brains of the experts. We've got Pat and Ben joining us today. Guys, how are you doing? Good, thank you, Felipe. Great to be here. Ah, Thank you. Thank you so much for for making the time. So maybe uh, to start off with, I'll ask you each to tell us about your focus area in the space, and then we can jump into some of the questions. Pat, do you want to kick off? Yeah, sure. So I guess the quick explanation is I focus on a lot of the production-oriented data science space, and that kind of includes different profiles Um, but definitely impactful work for commercial teams, could be scale-ups, big companies, as well as anything related to machine learning, engineering, and ops and all around that. Awesome. Awesome. Super relevant. Um, Ben, how about you? Yes, I'm in the, um, more on the analytics side, so more general analytics, uh, data analyst roles and and, uh, insights. We also cover the digital analytics space. So our clients can be across every industry, every sector, and obviously growing at a rate of knots. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's a certainly a busy time. Yes, right? Like they are um, key key talent to have in, in the organizations and really help us get a lot of value uh, quickly. So it's it's a key um, key area to focus on. Thanks so much for, um, for making the time today, guys. So... I was thinking to to kick off, uh, we can discuss what what makes a a company attractive uh, to to the talent that's out there, and how can we get the organizations to to be able to have uh, a greater a greater pool, I guess, um, and and a greater sway with people. Well, I think yeah, for me, definitely, there's there's so many different things. It depends a little bit on you know a person's journey and their values, as well as the the company and where they're at in their their maturity journey and data journey. Um, but one thing that I've been focused on for a while, but I'm really starting to hear a lot more of and have discussions with candidates is finding impactful work where they can really start to see the outcomes on a real business bottom line or customers. Um, that's that's kind of really coming through in the last kind of 12, 18 months. And, you know, that's awesome for us because a lot of our clients fit that bill, but it's really nice to see. It's not just about, you know, only the technologies or a brand name, for example, like it used to be, or the salary. Yeah, right. Um, no, I, I definitely, it, it used to be more around like, what what type of toys am I going to be able to play with? And is it going to be um, shiny and exciting? Um, so, it, and I agree, like, there's definitely a push to say, like, will I be adding value? What's the track record uh, of this team to be able to deliver value from the organization? Um, ben, from your side, any any other things that you think are are working well? Well, we, we find that people are in really in two camps. So the two camps are people that are looking for, for a mature data environment or people that are looking for a very new environment that's, kind of, that's being built from scratch. So in on the maturity side, they're going to get opportunities to have promotions or more, maybe more investment in training. There's more colleagues to learn from. Um, and there's you know, the option to, to potentially move into other teams and get you know learn other skills and, and get other roles like data science or engineering, for example. Whereas on the other side, in, in newer environments, the roles are going to probably be broader. The teams are going to be smaller. So they may get more opportunity to, to be involved in more, more areas of, of you know, growing that team, and that you know they may they may have you know, leadership opportunities you know sooner as that business business grows. So we see if the people are very much in two camps at the moment. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting and good good distinction. Yeah, I can definitely 
do you see that and the benefits of both right where um, yeah depending on where people are in their in their career um and i wanted to ask you guys where, where do you see uh, purpose at the moment and and primarily the the organizational purpose i know i know that it's something that um, something that i really like about uh, you guys and your approach is that this is some an area that you guys focus on um how do you see playing this playing into the the recruitment space at the moment yeah, it's, it's definitely come to the fore. And again, we, we start, you know, the process, I guess, by first understanding our clients. And we're really lucky that we've had some long-term relationships where we've worked with some of our teams for, for years and years. So we understand where they're coming from. We've seen their journey. And importantly, when we're then having conversations with top talent, lots of people who aren't necessarily, you know, actively seeking or desperate for just any job, you know, there's that extra threshold. So we really need to actually connect it with what's driving them. What are the underlying motivations? You know, is there a certain purpose or mission that they'd like to be a part of? You know, where the technical work that they're doing with data then then plays a significant strategic role in, in getting to those outcomes. So, yeah, really unpacking it from the client side, having a lot of different opportunities. And what I see in the data science market is often exposing people to things which they didn't really expect companies they might never have thought of actually having that that kind of underlying purpose whether it's for good working with some companies that are doing really unique things in say agricultural tech and data you know versus marketing or maybe it's a fintech that is disrupting things but it's helping out customers you know there's there's so many examples where purpose might not be the initial um, you know, attraction out there on the banner that's obvious, but it, it actually helps, you know, get the most uh, qualified and attractive kind of uh, people across. Yeah, that's really good. And, and how about from, from the analytics and the insight side? Do you, um, do you find, Ben, that people are having those conversations? Are they um, coming to you with, with those type of questions or is it something more that you're, you're raising? How do you, how do you see it? I think it's, you know, particularly after coming through COVID, I think people are really, they are really in tune with, you know, what's really important to them. And I think we're starting to have conversations now around, okay, so what's really important for them and their family and their their career path. So for us, it's about, we're, we're really, because we've worked with our clients for so long, we know the market really well, we can give them a really honest feedback as to whether that job opportunity is going to offer the what they're looking for in terms of lifestyle, work-life balance. So I think that's where it comes in. I think, you know, over the next six to 12 months, we're going to be having more of those conversations and try to help people make the right decisions in terms of the, you know, the business and the role that they that they're looking at. But yeah, it's a great time to have to think about you know what, you know, the purpose and, and why what motivates them and what business should they join to um, to suit their lifestyle. Yeah, that's that's really good. And, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just got excited with with how you were saying about the um, the additional areas that people are looking into uh, when considering a role now. So I wanted to to ask you to if you can uh, elaborate on those. So after after COVID, what are what are some things that um, might have changed in the in people's priority when they start looking for roles? Things that they might consider now that they didn't before. Um, what what should organizations look to be offering more of, essentially? Well, the big, the big thing is the, the flexibility piece. Um, and so that's, a, that's obviously a big one that's, that's not going to go away. Um, you know, being able to work from different locations is obviously a, a key one. And um, people also not just recognizing that, that perhaps they don't want to work for a business that's just... It's all about sales and marketing and generating more revenue. So maybe working for a non-profit or for different government organizations. So I think that's that's what people are having a real think about. It's not just about it's not just about some people are chasing the dollars, but a lot of people are chasing the, the role that's gonna that's gonna fulfill them and you know give something back. So yeah, it's uh, increasing, you know. Mm-hmm. Passion. You're seeing people's passion come out, which is which is fantastic. Mm. And I do think it's worth mentioning as well. You know, we're starting to now see kind of two years into this much broader push towards remote and kind of uh, teams where it is a bit different to what a lot of them had been doing. You know, with face to face contact, 
it's not a case where everyone wants 100% remote work all the time. You know, we are hearing it from the market that quite a lot of people do want to have that component of getting connected to their, you know, stakeholders to understand their pain points, working with their data peers as well, because a lot of the time it's cross-functional teams in our space, not just, you know, one person doing everything. You know, and we've, we've seen, you know, some of the negative effects as well of remote, right? You know, a recent example was a candidate of mine who was only in the job for less than 12 months, but it was a fantastic job. There weren't any problems with it, you know, but she was poached and hired by another company. And one of the motivations was, you know, having that closer contact, you know, that extra buy-in from the team, um, that social connection and, you know, everything, of course, it, it had been done to, to keep her. But um, yeah, it, it does It does happen. And I think that's something that data leaders would want to watch out for on the flip side of providing lots of flexibility, that you're also making sure that people are really part of that team and, and connected to the business that they're actually working with, not just only data peers. Oh, man, that is so true. And and this is this is an area where I know that I've I've um, been focusing on and I know that I've been um, trying to trying to improve. Um, it's difficult. I think, it, yeah, I think it is a real challenge on uh, getting people that are remote, having them well connected into the, the work, the organization, um, the, the organization more broadly, um, especially when there is hybrid environments, when there is a, a or a couple of offices that a lot of people might go into, and then you have people that don't live near these offices. Um, it's, it, it can be, it can be challenging. I know that, that, that for me, it's something that I've been working on. And we had, at my work, we had a very similar case as you just described, Pat, where we had somebody that started remote. Um, they hadn't come into the office uh, where we try to get them quite early on to come and visit. Um, and, um, and then I think it was within a couple of months, maybe six weeks, um, she moved on. And, uh, and part of it was like, yes, I didn't really feel as connected to the organization um, as I could have. So that's, that's, a, that's definitely a watch point in, in modern times. Mm. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to ask you guys, what, what, are, um, what are some of the things that are driving people away from jobs at the moment? If we think about the, the reasons why people are thinking, um, yeah, either I want to, either I've had enough or, or um, I, I want something different. Uh, what, are, what are some things that, that leaders could address uh, to help reduce the, the attrition um, and ensure sort of more longevity in, in roles? I think a big one that's come up recently that, um, that we've been we've been talking about and talking to our clients about with the new financial year coming up is that there's a lot of teams are under resourced because of the, the talent shortage. It's having a real you know there's a lot of pressure on leaders and people within those teams to deliver work. So you know we know that some of our clients have been having conversations around stalling projects um, and sort of you know. You know, pulling back some of the work for the next financial year to make sure staff are over-resourced. And because you've got to be realistic that you can only bring in, in this market, you can only bring in a certain number of people you know, over the next quarter, over the next 12 months. So I think that, that, you know, that topic is, is, um, is going to really play a part in the planning for next financial year with different businesses. It's a big, it's a big one at the moment. It's a lot of people feeling you know, really overwhelmed and overworked and uh, and you know, just a bit sort of burnt out from the last couple of years. So it's, um, it's you know, the next twelve months is a really key time to look after, to look after your staff. Man, I could yeah, could not agree more. I think um, yeah, there's definitely um, hiring is a huge challenge. There's uh, a lot of a lot of expectation and demands at work. Um, overworking people is is kind of like a very um, slippery slope. Um, and I think that that, um, that leads on to another question that I wanted to ask you guys around um, models of, of team organization and delivery that can help during these um, times where we're pressed for, uh, for talent and for resources. Um, and one of the areas that I've seen is, is um, investment in, in technology, for example, um, that, that is one where it, people, people are considering uh, and having more 
automation, um, better documentation, uh, better sort of collaboration software, and, and increasing the maturity on, on that front. But obviously, it's not enough, and it's not, and, and we need a, a diverse uh, set of solutions to, to tackle the, the skills and the talent shortage. Um, so what, what do you see uh, from, uh, from, from your perspective as some, some uh, different models that people could consider around um, managing this, this time and being able to, to deliver more? I think in, in my space and, you know, some of the conversations I have with the more mature teams who I think have done, you know, great jobs of avoiding attrition, you know, keeping their, their best people, keeping them engaged, you know, long term and continuing to, to grow in a competitive market. You know, one thing that they all have in common is they'll have people um, who really understand the unique skill sets, you know, a data scientist is not the same as any other data scientist generally. There's going to be different profiles and skill sets, you know, which could be around the business side and commercial acumen, could be around some of the engineering and MLOps side, productionizing models, certainly the statistical and analytical kind of side as well. And understanding, you know, the strengths and weaknesses and gaps and opportunities in your team really opens up how you can then keep those people engaged, understanding what opportunities they might be looking for internally before you go and hire someone immediately onto a new project or to do a role that might have been a great promotion for them. Um, also, you know, it really helps, you know, with one of the biggest things I think avoids attrition, which is hiring well in the first place, you know, being really open and honest about what, what the gap is, what your challenges are, you know, as a hiring manager or someone in the interview process, you shouldn't be selling. You never want to oversell. You know, that's the biggest thing data scientists complain about, that the expectations and the actual reality are, are very different when they get in. And you want to close that gap. And, you know, that's something that I've seen. So really knowing specifically what the person would be doing, what skills are really important. And when you do that, when you understand your team and you've given them opportunities internally, and then you kind of thoughtfully go out to make the next hire, you can really hone in and pitch the job correctly and know that there's going to be room to support them, the work and the skills around them. And that makes it different. You can open up talent pools that way by kind of, you know, looking inwards first before going out to market. Yeah, I love, yeah, I love that approach, giving people internally the, the opportunity, helping develop them um, and, yeah, focusing, focusing kind of on, making the best of, of the, the talent that you have internally um, and then having more clarity when you do look outside. And there's definitely like ongoing conversations there where um, I've had people, for example, move into a management space for the first time and then realize uh, that it's not for them and say like, no, I'd much rather be a senior. I want to be more, um, more on the tools than what this role allows. But then you have you have those um, those conversations where um, you know the expectation upfront during the in, in this particular case, like the expectation upfront during the hiring process was this is a, a manager role, and he he found that um, you know he gave it a good go and we worked through it. Um, and I don't know, maybe a year in, he said, you know what, this is really not for me. I'd much rather be a senior. And we definitely had the, the need for, for that. Um, so that sort of worked out well to then being able to go back to the market and hire for the right set of skills um, for and, and the right person for that role, um, having almost exhausted the, the, internal, um, the internal talent pool before, uh, so I think that's that's really good. Um, ben, from your perspective, any other um, uh, creative models that people could consider about um, in getting through a hump of work or or this period that is extra demanding um, and and tough to get people in? I think yeah, I obviously agree with all Pat's thoughts and comments on that. I think that also the um, teams have been using. Pools of contract as well. We've obviously seen a big increase in contracting um, to, to help with teams and workload in the last two to three years. I think we've seen a dramatic shift in 
in the, the way that businesses approach hiring data professionals across analytics and data science. And we're now seeing, you know, a, a, a probably a, you know, 70 30 split in terms of contractors versus permanent staff in some organizations. So I think that is really helping to, you know, to relieve some of the, some of the pressure. I know that some businesses are, that it's often when you're scaling and you need to scale quickly, mm. and you need to be more flexible around different locations. Um, and having more contractors coming in, so I think that's, that's been it's been you know great for the the data market in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really great point. And I think that there's there's always going to be uh, work that you know is going to be longer term and become strategic or be a you, and then there'll be other work that is a, a temporary need or or demand or um, that the skills don't exist internally. Um, and, and that they've been extra difficult to get and you might need them on a short-term basis. Uh, so I think that they're kind of two um, triggers, at least, that, that um, I like to think about when, when, to, when to consider uh, contractors. And then, um, so if you have any, any thoughts on that, let me know. Um, and then additionally, any, any tips on how to make the best use of, of contractors um, while they're engaged with the organization? Yeah, I, I, I guess I've had quite a lot of experience with, with kind of the data science and machine learning engineering contract market. And, you know, I think you're right. So your example was, was fantastic where you might have work which is somewhat short term or it's actually unknown. Will it extend beyond six months? That's a really typical example. You know, we've got a niche piece of work, a model that needs to be built but you can't necessarily guarantee that there'll be similar types of work in terms of machine learning technicality or analytical kind of depth or skills. And I think a lot of companies in the past that I've worked with, you know, they've been quite traditional and hired permanent. And what we then see is those top talent that they've brought in get to do a great piece of work. And as soon as it's done and switches across into maintenance mode, enhancements, just running the model and updating kind of, you know, uh, data and batch every month or whatever it might be, and their next work is somewhat unsuitable. You know, it might be very different and less attractive. They, they lose engagement, you know, and again, they're, they're talking to their friends. They're talking to people at meetup groups. They're moving on to a new job, you know, 12 months in, mm. you know, and you've done yourself a bit of a disservice. So I think it's definitely, you know, a really wise idea if, if that's a situation, a key project or product that you're trying to ramp up considering whether you should actually bring on contractors first. The third major lesson, you know, and, and some numbers I was just running through them with some of my clients is, you know, we've been seeing really good tenure from our data science contractors. The average tenure is about 12 to 18 months, which is pretty comparable to permanent experienced data science already, you know. And we're also seeing a very high conversion rate, you know, and this is small sample size, kind of under 100 in the last year. But around 75% of our data science contractors with, with some of our clients have been converted across to PERM. And they're typically doing anywhere in between kind of, you know, eight to 12 months on average before they convert to PERM. So the tenure is actually fantastic. They've yeah. both had a bit of a try before you buy. They're treated just like permanent workers as well. You know, it's not the same as contracting in software or tech. That's that's really good, Ben. Sorry. Yeah, I was just to say that's a really good point. You know that, that um, businesses that treat contractors like you know permanent employees are getting the best out of contractors, and they're part of the team. Gone are the days where contractors were given all the best work. Uh, mm -hmm. They didn't go to team lunches or go out for drinks at the end of the week. Uh, they were, you know, very kind of uh, seen as mercenaries, I guess, you know, chase, chasing dollars. But that's, that's changed, which has been fantastic. The contractors now in most organisations are really valued and are part of the team. And they don't get any, they don't, the work isn't more interesting than the permanent employee, which is really good to, to make sure that, um, you know, you, you keep everyone engaged. I remember now that you say it, I remember those times when when um, contractors would get some of the more exciting work, some of the new things. Um, and uh, yeah, I can definitely see the, the shift now. Um, and, and on the flip side, like they're better integrated. Contractors, I think, are better integrated um, in, into 
the permanent teams, which I think is is the the way to go. So this is yeah, this is really good. Um, something else that you guys mentioned um, reminded me uh, that I should ask you about the uh, the team structures and how how to how to organize teams um, and and what type of what type of models you've seen that whether you've seen a um, for example having a, a staged process that it can be um, uh, data engineering and then insights and analytics separate and then machine learning separate and then an ops team separate um, or or are you seeing uh, models that are more sort of cross-functional across those uh, or cr cross-functional across the wider organization what type of um what type of team structures are you seeing uh, in the market and have you seen any any shift recently well, I think in, in my side, um, you know, I've, I've seen examples of both working, you know, so it really just depends on the situation. You know, certainly in, in smaller and mid-sized companies, definitely that kind of cross-functional hybrid model works really well. And again, it comes down to, or the success of this model comes down to really understanding what are the underlying skill sets in your individuals. You know, so if you've got a really awesome team of a small squad of, say, three or four data scientists, but a couple of those have very mature skill sets around machine learning ops and some of the engineering to deploy and productionize model that eases pressure on the data engineers that you need. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got people who have exceptional commercial acumen and may have done some kind of product leadership, a lot of that translation with business stakeholders, again, that eases, you know, some of the pressure, say on the manager or where you might get bottlenecks in much larger organizations where roles can be more specialized into to buckets. You know, at the same time, some of my big clients who do have, you know, everything, huge data science teams, machine learning, engineering, separate ops, um, separate data analyst insights teams, you know, down to, to verticals and, and teams in the hundreds, you know, they, they can be really successful as well. Part of that's going to come down to collaboration, you know, and, and ownership and also opening up opportunities to really work together well, you know, where it doesn't work well. And everyone, I think, would know, know these stories in big organizations where there can be some silos or politics, you know, people wanting to compete internally instead of actually work. And I think even with those structures, they're generally working nowadays in agile, cross-functional teams. So it's not, you know, a squad of 10 data scientists together. They're going to be distributed. There'll be a, you know, ops kind of skill set, data engineer, couple of analysts in the team with data scientists as well. And then you've got your capability practice where you actually are building up your skills, looking at research, looking at, at kind of the broader development professionally. Yeah, really, really good. Um, how about, how about from, your, from your side, Ben? Do you see it differently? I think, yeah, just as Pat said, it really depends on the, the organization size, how big the data teams are. Um, we're certainly seeing there's more opportunities for people to be involved in different parts of, of the business. You know, if you look mm. at, you know, smaller tech companies or smaller, uh, you know, e-commerce businesses, for example, you know, they're quite attractive because you obviously you work on the customer side, but you also get to work on more kind of business and operational um, problems as well. So I think it's, it, it really depends what the motivations are from the candidate. But those opportunities are out there if you want to, you know, have experience and you know, get some um, skills in, in different areas of analytics. And you know, now's a now's a great time to do that. And I think as Pat mentioned with with Agile, I think certain organisations are doing a really good job with you know, insights teams that can also work, you know, can collaborate with data science teams and they're giving, giving people actually time during the week to work with those teams and understand what, what those teams do. So I think there's, yeah, although it's a very candidate short market at the moment, there's, it's a, you know, there's great opportunities out there for people that want to, you know, learn different areas. Yeah, that's really good. And, and in terms of... Um maybe focus areas or career progression have you seen anything um, unique to the to the analytics and or insights uh, people in terms of where they can go with their career that sometimes they might want to go more technical and, and either move into the data science space but sometimes they can go more business and they can move into uh, product management or product ownership 
um, and and um, anything kind of like on the on the more business end. Do you see any any um, pathways that are unique to to the insights or analytics people? Yeah, I think you know traditionally people have thought, okay, my next move, as you, as you mentioned earlier, is a leadership role, and they automatically think they should be working towards a leadership role, even though they may not be suited to being to being a leader. Um, or that, that may, they may not enjoy that part of the role. So I think yeah, there's been other opportunities to move into more business roles. You mentioned product management. In the last 12 to 18 months, that's been a great area for people with um, that want to move away from the technical side and um, but don't want to go and manage you know large teams of, of you know analytics and insights and um, people. So yeah, product management is certainly certainly a great area to move into and has been been growing in the last uh, last year year or so. Well, that, that ties in yeah. with the trend as well that we were talking about where companies are and candidates and businesses are getting more mature and they're demanding impact and outcomes from data and analytics. It's no longer okay to really go off and do R&D in a company, data science team, take away budget and then produce nothing after 12 months. And so there will be more product manager roles. And I think they're more attractive as well because people see that that's where you know, the top talent is gravitating. So I, I definitely, you know, think you were spot on there and there'll be more of that. There'll be more of these roles and opportunities created for people to move into slightly different roles still within data. Yeah, right. And and to be able to leverage all those analytical skills um, and, and um, business liaison skills or, or stakeholder management in terms of being able to um, tell a story and understand what the data is saying, being able to decide on a direction um, and then help craft a, a product. It's, I think it's, a, it's an exciting, um, exciting space. Um, so I wanted to, to um, ask about a, a couple, couple other topics. Um, so tell me which one you want to jump into first. One of them I wanted to ask you around what are the type of uh, questions or challenges that leaders come to you guys with? What are the type of conversations that you see leaders wanting to have? Um, maybe we can do that first and then we can talk about um, we, that, uh, we, how does it look from the individual's perspective? So we, we looked, we discussed around the organization, what they can do to be more attractive. We discussed the different models uh, within, uh, within the team, uh, even team structures. So then we can talk about how the, the individual can um, be more attractive to organizations and maximize their chances. Um, but yeah, maybe let's first let's start with the, uh, the business leader challenges and conversations that they're wanting to have uh, with you guys. What, what are some of the things, uh, uh, the themes there that, that keep coming up? I think one that's been really a hot topic for the, for the last year, given how competitive the market is, how difficult it is to kind of get the top talent and secure them and keep them, has been around the interview processes mm. across, you know, data science, analytics and data engineering roles. You know, it's not, it's not the old days anymore where you can kind of sit back, have an interview panel and it's one-sided, you know, where we're offering you a job, you should... You should be thankful and answer all of our questions. You know, it, it's really pivotal. You know, that the, the interview process is the biggest source of information to the market about who you are, what you're doing, and your culture and how you, how you do it. You know, and, and it feeds back through informal challenge. But, you know, data people will, will talk to their friends and that, that makes the way out. People are using Glassdoor, LinkedIn. They're talking to headhunters. They're asking more detailed questions and being more selective than ever. So interview process is one. Maybe I can let Ben kind of chat about what, you know, hiring leaders are asking in his space around interviews. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it does start with the interview process and, and you know, what are businesses out there doing that, to, you know, engage people and, and what, where, where are they having success? And it does start with that interview process and, Making sure. So our biggest tip is, you know, obviously you be well structured and prepared for that interview. But also, if you like the candidate, you need to you need to let them know in that interview. It needs to be a great experience, whether you like them or not. But you also, during that interview process, you know, you need to give them feedback along the way as to, you know, you know what experience really fits and would add value to that team. What you liked about the, the answers that they gave. So when they when they come away from that interview. They're already feeling the engagement being, I could potentially work for, for, for this team. You know, the worst thing that the businesses can do at the moment 
is have that poker face and just run through 20 questions and there's no there's no engagement. They then wonder why why didn't that person want to come back for a second interview? So I mean that yeah, it starts with that. And then there's also just, you know, how the big question is, how are we going to find the people to uh, you know to to basically keep up with our, our business plans for the next 12 months. Yeah, I think that's a really, yeah, really great point. Um, and so I think being able to uh, tell the candidate how, um, whether they're likely to, to progress essentially to the next stage, selling them as part of the interview, I think it's a good, really great practice. Um, and what, um, there's two other things that, that I think are kind of like pivotal in the interviewing process. Um, so I'm keen to get your thoughts. One of them is the, the speed. Um, so sometimes people are taking a bit longer and, and the candidate is snatched up by, by another organization. Um, and then the other one is the, the structure of the interview rounds where some people have, you know, technical, um, technical rounds up front that it could be in person or, or done kind of like remotely. Um, then a cultural fit. Sometimes there's like management or meeting the team. Um, so keen to get your your thoughts on on both of those on um, speed of of um, of hiring essentially of progressing through the stages and then what um, should the stages look like or or if you have any tips on on um, yeah the the interview stages. Yeah, I think my quick comment on speed is it, it certainly helps. It's a competitive market. Best practice in terms of turnaround in between stages is less than 24 hours. So if you've completed an interview, that candidate should know the outcome, whether it's positive, you know, rejection, what the next stages are, actually getting that scheduled in within 24 hours in, in this market. If there is a real reason, you know, you need to conduct a couple of other interviews, someone's, you know, off sick, which has been happening a lot. That's totally fine, but wherever possible, it's great. And the best example I can think of is, you know, one or two of my clients who have, you know, mature data science practices and their interviewers will often have feedback, detailed feedback for me, as well as the action within, you know, two or three hours. Inside that interview as well, even when people have been, um, you know, rejected, they'll actually talk through and spend, you know, five to 10 minutes telling them about why they're not a fit right now. And they might've even given them some hints in terms of different courses, you know, resources to go and look at on really niche specific areas of statistics or ML to go and improve on. And that does a world of good for their employer brand. And the chances that that candidate is gonna tell their friends nice things about that company, encourage people to apply and also want to revisit them in the future, yeah. you know, six months, 12 months down the line. So sorry, that was, a bit off topic for speed, but no man, it's it's great because like I I um I've been surprised at um how I've been surprised at when people apply for the same company after a period of time, sometimes a year, sometimes a bit longer. And um I've noticed that the people that do that, they've taken the feedback from the first round and really improved themselves, and they're also uh, committed either to the organization or to the purpose or they're interested in the work and as a result like when when they do come in they're usually like fantastic resources because they, they've shown that that growth mindset that commitment um, that they, their alignment um, so I think I think this is a really important part of the of the recruitment experience that regardless of the outcome you have the opportunity to create a really great relationship. Uh, and and I think that that should be that should be number one. So no, I'm love love what you're saying. So sorry, that was on the on the on the speed side. Any any other thoughts on speed, Ben? Did you? Yeah, you know the businesses that are hiring well and efficiently, and um, yeah, there's there's a response straight away from from that first submission. You know, 24 hours later, the second interview's booked in. Um, I think there's there's a real uh, you know, businesses aren't quite sure when to do the technical test at the moment. That, yeah. That flips between the first and the second round. I mean, obviously, best practice if that candidate looks fantastic and looks to have everything or, or close to everything that the company's looking for, then, then yes, definitely you should have that first interview before you go to technical, mm -hmm. the technical stage. But sometimes, 
you know, if a company's scaling quickly, you do need to have the, the technical round done, you know, in the first interview. But um, yes, I think companies are, are sort of struggling as to where to put that technical stage at the moment. Mm. I think in the data science market, there's, you know, the, the strong message is that candidates, good candidates, want to have one stage where there's some personal connection first. You know, the other thing to remember is that a lot of people, I mean, obviously we're a headhunting and recruitment agency, so a lot of people aren't active job seekers. You know, we're talking to them about, you know, again, the underlying motivations, the mission of the team, you know, pitching them on the leaders, the specific people that they're going to work with. So to then have a really incongruent kind of experience where they might be asked to do a, you know, automated tech test as their first stage is quite impersonal. Um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't match up, you know, if we've approached them and said, hey, you know, we really want to engage, I think you should meet this team. So I think that's really standard feedback. You know, in general, you'd want to have some personal interaction. And that can be, you know, quite a few of my clients, for example, will hop on, you know, a quite a senior manager, head of data science or analytics, and they might have a 20 to 40 minute conversation with the person first to actually introduce themselves, talk them through the team and make sure that there is alignment and actually, you know, understand their personality, their background, you know, and, and get them interested in the role and confirm, you know, tell them about the reality, what they'll be doing in the first few months. And then it's actually okay. The candidate's got a great idea of, yes, this does match up exactly with what I was looking for. I'm, I'm happy to then commit and, you know, dedicate some time. The other kind of quick feedback on technical tests, because this is definitely the most dangerous slash contentious stage for attracting data scientists, is making sure that it's well aligned. And that might mean a bit more time invested in really thinking about it from hire to hire. Hopefully not every single new hire. You want to have some consistency. But, you know, the common negative feedback and where we see candidates dropping out of processes, not completing technical tests and just saying, you know what, I'm just going to focus on other opportunities. It's often when there's a bit of a misalignment and it might be an automated platform or a data science technical test that is very focused on programming or engineering skills, which may not necessarily have been discussed or may not be required. And perhaps that's because it was easier to do an automated measurable test, for example. So I think having intelligent testing that really is reflecting the skills needed, you know, that's also taking into account people's work lives, they're busy, and they might be interviewing and doing three other technical tests at any given week. So yeah, it's, it's definitely important. But when it's done right, it's this huge selling point. You know, I've, I've equally heard really good feedback from people who are so much more excited about a company after going through tech testing, you know, they are thinking to themselves, this was intelligent. It was really thoughtful. It was actually really an interesting problem to solve. And I can see that if this is a testing I'm going through, then I know the caliber of the people I'll be working with. And they often would have had, you know, really interesting back and forth and discussions and gotten a snapshot into like what life would be like working on that team with and being able to bounce ideas off you know, having data scientists from different academic backgrounds, commercial backgrounds to work with. And so it, it can be, you know, a real selling point when done right. So it's not, it's not all negative, but just make sure that it's appropriate and, and well thought out and respectful. Well, mate, that is, yeah, excellent advice. I've made many, many mistakes in recruitment processes and a lot of them in the technical recruitment, <laughs> in the technical test. Um, and, and for example, one that, that I was doing up until very recently was having the technical test first, like upfront, first, first contact with the candidate. Yeah. And as you said, like, it's definitely not, not the, the best approach, um, but that's one that it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to, uh, to learn. So um, yeah, these are excellent, excellent tips, mate. It, it depends. You're not alone, Felipe. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sorry. You're not alone. It's a... Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and honestly. Yeah. No, it's true. Thank you. It depends. It depends on so many things because you know time. Time is a factor. You know, not everyone can dedicate a head of data science. You know, to spend thirty hours per week interviewing. You know, that doesn't leave a lot of time for for your actual 
job. And so that, that's where we've seen it come through. And also companies have recognized that it is good to have a consistent process. And they've probably been through, you know, the journey in the last 10 years of interviewing people, taking up time, you know, and finding out that someone was just completely wildly different to what they were expecting based off of a CV. You know, that half of the experience and technical skills you know, weren't actually commercially embedded and delivered in a good quality environment. They might have, you know, done a really quick project or read a blog about it and decided to put it down and optimize their CV in that regard. Um, you know, but but having communication at least, you know, and, and, you know, I'll often have combos and I'll say, look, the process for this company is not ideal. This is why, you know, they're under complete stress and the process actually is great afterwards. You know, the test isn't perfect. They know it. You know, there's some random questions about X, Y, and Z. You know, that's actually not important. They're only going to be focused on, you know, the questions that are really key around Python and Python machine learning kits, around statistics, you know, ML and data science. So focus on those. You know, it won't take you too long. I'll be able to jump on and walk through the results and feedback with you immediately. And if it's positive, then easy days. You're going to be talking to, you know, Bob, Joe Bloggs, and, you know, this is his background, he'll be able to kind of answer more questions and I think you're going to like him. So, you know, managing managing it appropriately, but wherever possible, have some interaction first before testing. Yeah, that's really good. Good advice. And and um, managing the expectations through through ongoing communication, I think, is is also key. So that's, uh, as you just said, so that's, um, that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Um, so... Um, wanted to also then ask you about the um, everything that we've discussed. What does it look like from the from the candidate's perspective? So the the individual that's uh, that's looking to um, get their next role, look for a different challenge in their in their career. What are what are some some tips that you guys have on on how they should be approaching it or what they should be considering? Uh, any any thoughts from that perspective? I think a big one at the moment that we're finding is that um, people people are are probably not giving giving it enough time and thought around why they're looking to move and, and be be really sure about you know what the motivations are you know what what kind of role and not not, not just you know getting caught up in the um, the talent shortage and, and trying to jump for the wrong reasons. So I think that's something that we see and and it oft, often results in them making a bad choice or going through a lot of interview rounds or processes, but then actually thinking, I'm not quite sure I really wanted to move in the first place. So I think that, that yeah, that the big tip at the moment is, is at the start of the process, be really clear on why you're looking to, to look for a new role at the moment. Mm. Yeah, good, really good, really good advice. Um, yeah, I've definitely seen people move um, either to um rashly um or or kind of like every job goes through ups and downs and they sometimes move in the on the downs and um and then yeah i've seen i've seen people regret it and i've seen people want to come back to old jobs or old companies um so yeah it's definitely uh, better to, to give yourself a bit more time uh pat were you gonna jump in yeah i think i think you're right the you know the data and analytics space is ambiguous you know and there's so much hype there's so much you know, misinformation out there that I think, you know, really asking a lot of questions, you know, getting as much information as you can, good quality information, real information, which isn't necessarily a job ad or a position description, mm. you know, but it's it's actually engaging. You know, when you're in interviews as well, you know, from the candidate perspective, it is a two-way street. It's not just the company asking you questions to determine if you can do the job. You really have to align those motivations. So again, having clearly thought out what really is the driver and the biggest, most important things for you if you were to move, as Ben was saying, you know, that's really key. And, you know, a lot of the time, an example in data science would be, you know, many people have been working for years in kind of average companies and something's missing. They're not getting to do a lot of impactful production work. And so, you know, again, unpacking and understanding why, what would be really important? Is it about working with top people where they can learn those technical skills? Or is it like more from the enjoyment factor and the satisfaction of actually being able to kind of measure what you've done and turn around after, you know, a year in a new business and say, well, actually, I've had this really great impact on the sales team or the marketing team or the finance team or the medical 
kind of, you know, operations team in terms of what they can do because of the work I've done. So I think, yeah, make, make sure you ask questions and don't be shy. Like, you know, just think about the questions that they're asking in interview. You know, tell me about the models you've productionized in the last year. You know, walk me through the impact you've had with customers. You know, feel free to ask those in polite um, you know, fashion to, to the companies as well. You know, ask them, you know, what, what have, you, have you guys launched? You know, do you have any projects that you're really proud of? Can you tell me in a bit more detail, you know, in the next one month, three months, six months, what would I be working on? Um, you know, and you can then start to pick up that real sense of where they're at in terms of analytics maturity, which is reflective of so many other things. You know, the talent that you'd be working with, the stakeholder buy-in for actual data-driven decision-making, you know, understanding the people around you as well. So again, like I'm obviously focused on data scientists, but the same goes with, you know, analysts and insights. Knowing that the data engineers and the machine learning engineers or ops teams are also, you know, strong, talented, bought in, you're working together in cross-functional teams is, is really important. Yeah. Do, do your research. Yeah. So true. Hey, I love it. I love it. Well, gents, that I think is an excellent note to end on. I want to thank you so much uh, for, for your time, for sharing your knowledge, your experiences, your insights. Um, they're, they're phenomenal, particularly in this in this market that we're in today. Um, so thank you so much for that. And I know that I'm taking away a lot, a lot of le- learnings uh, from our conversation, as always. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for the invite. It's been a great experience. And uh, yeah, thanks for the invite. Look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Felipe. Catch you soon. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.